The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. If you create a fictional dam around your fiction, right? If you surround it by every every side by more fiction, it it enhances the effect of reality of of the isolated or framed narrative. So it's like a it's almost as if you had an isthmus, you know, connected to referential reality, you know, a peninsula and then you sever that isthmus and you turn it into an island surrounded only by fiction. And welcome back to The Writer Files. This is your grateful host, Kelton Reed, wishing you pages, patience, and perseverance per usual. Award-winning author and Pulitzer Prize finalist, Hernan Diaz spoke to me about rejection, his unusual path to literary stardom, subverting reader expectations, and his latest novel, Trust. Hernan is a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction and Penn Faulkner Award, his first novel, In the Distance, won the Soroyan International Prize, the Cabell Award, the Pre-Page America, and the New American Voices Award, among other distinctions. His latest novel, Trust, has been named one of 2022's most anticipated books by the New York Times, Oprah Daily, the Today Show, Vogue, Vulture, AV Club, and many more. Described as an immersive story and a brilliant literary puzzle about money, power, intimacy, and perception. The New York Times called Trust intricate, cunning, and consistently surprising. Hernan holds a PhD from NYU. It's an academic journal at Columbia University. And his stories and essays have appeared in The Paris Review, Granta, Playboy, The Yale Review, McSweeney's, and elsewhere. In this file, Hernan and I discussed why the path to publication is a catch-22 for authors, the lonely road to Pulitzer nominee, and the disorientation of fame. What he learned from Jorge Luis Borges, remapping the isthmus of referential reality, how he unlearned academic writing, and a lot more. Stay calm and write on. And don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm, where you can also sign up for email updates, get links to merch, and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of the Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. All right, we are back on The Writer Files. I am truly honored today 
to be joined by an esteemed guest. I have award-winning author Hernan Diaz is joining us, and I hope I pronounced that properly. You did wonderfully, Kelton. Thank you for having me. <laughs> that, so that means you, you messed it up. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Trust um, me. Okay, well, um, I know that you've been doing a lot of interviews and, and you've been doing the, the uh, circuit for the latest Trust, which is uh, quite a miraculous book. But yeah, I can't wait to talk about that and all of the amazing uh, praise and, and these fantastic reviews that you've garnered. But let's talk about your amazing journey this superhero origin uh story from you know um go take us back a little bit the early days before the uh pulitzer nomination and and yeah talk a little bit about your journey as an author and how you came to uh this place now well um i'm i'm the son of uh, booksellers uh that my parents had a had a bookshop when I was born. Uh, and uh, then, you know, they also had other jobs later on, but at that particular time, they owned a bookshop. Uh, and I uh, grew up around books. And ever since I can remember, I wanted to be involved with books in some way or another. I wrote stories as a, as a kid, you know, terrible, terrible stuff. Uh, I wrote even, even more terrible poems. I, you know, I, drew comic books, like storytelling was my thing. And, um, and I read voraciously, uh, always. And, um, you know, uh, I, I went into the humanities, into academia, because I, you know, I, I thought that was the best way of being closer to the literary world. And it turned, turns out that that's not necessarily true. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but, you know, I was heavily invested in academia. I did my PhD. I was a, a tenure-track professor and all, all, all of that. And I kept writing throughout all of it. And then at a certain point, I realized that I had steered too far away from, from literature itself and become too concerned with, uh, you know, criticism and, uh, and theory and philosophy and things that are adjacent to literature, but not literature itself. Mm-hmm. And I doubled down on writing uh, stories and, and a whole novel uh, that was finished. And all my stories and that novel were universally rejected. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've lost, I've lost count. And I, <laughs> I got, yeah, <laughs> I got, Amazing. I got very, I got very, very depressed. You know, it's scary. And I hope, you know, if, 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 if um, if young writers are, are tuning in, it's 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 a, it's it's a very real thing, you know, to experience rejection on that scale and and still keep at it. It feels like you're a little crazy because you feel you want to do this and you're convinced you, about this calling, if you want to call it that way. And yet the world is telling you that it's worthless in some way, you know, or mm. doesn't want to hear about it. But the only way forward is just to keep going, which starts feeling a bit insane at some point, you know, like, um, so I started writing my second novel, which was in the distance. Uh, I gave up on trying to get the first one published and, uh, started a whole new project. And, uh, yeah, I sent it to Coffeehouse Press, which was, uh, and, uh, you know, it is an independent press, exquisite and independent press out of Minneapolis. Because, of course, the catch-22 is that, you know, no no publisher will touch your work unless you have an agent, and no agent will take you on unless you have published work. So it's, you know, 
so I sent it to the slush pile and it got, you know, someone read it with, 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 with care and love and it mm. got published. Uh, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> and the rest is history. As I say. Uh, <laughs> and you've well, been just, you've been, you've just been kicking back since then, right? <laughs> Yeah, just chilling, <laughs> taking it easy. That's that's who I am. No, it's just, uh, I, you know, as I said at the beginning, my, I, it's not like I don't. This is what I want to be doing all of the time, and no. do, reading and writing. I'm, I'm not. It's not that I would rather. It's not a chore. It's not that I would rather be doing something else. Uh, it's rather the opposite. It's like everything else seems like an obstacle that that keeps me away from that. So, if you know what what has come with with uh, the recognition that that the first book got to to some extent and uh, has been you know the the privilege of, of of being to devote more and more time to this that that's mm-hmm. the main thing and the other thing is that i also got to meet a number of writers that you know sort of heroes people i admired and and now you know i i get to like talk to them and you know yeah. that's that's amazing how the I was very lonely before all of this, and now I have a I have more friends, which is nice. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Yeah. yeah. So after all the prizes and of course the recognition, um, there must have been a time when your head was kind of spinning. Like, is this real? Like, is this really happening to me? Did you ever have a moment of like, um, you know, we talked to a lot of authors, uh, big name authors, about this moment of kind of, um, you know, like an imposter syndrome. Like, um, am I really? Am I really supposed to be here? Um, I don't know. I mean, to me, more than to me, it was disorienting more than anything else. I was. It was very uh, like I did, couldn't find my bearings because, as I was just telling you, it was. It had been a world of, of rejection. It mm-hmm. had been a very lonely uh, journey, in you know, not in a heroic kind of you know <laughs> way, but in a really sad. <laughs> <laughs> depressing way uh so all, all of a sudden you know there is there is a lot of there is a lot of beautiful noise you know but it's very loud uh, around mm-hmm. you and there's a lot of people a lot of whom also are very lovely but but it's it's a it's a big shift and uh so it was, it was if anything it was it was disorienting and i had to sort of learn how to how to deal with that. And of course the response as always was in books. It's just, just, just mm. turning back to literature and, and turning back to reading novels that, that I love rediscovering new books and trying to write a new book and, you know, and, and going back to that and, you know, going back at, at failing again and failing better and just <laughs> keeping at it. Mm, mm, I like yeah. that. Um, well, of course, your colleagues have come out of the woodwork to praise your latest, uh, I thought, you know, um, Emma Straub, um, who, who is uh, actually going to be on this show later this month. Uh, oh, she's delightful. I love Emma. She's great. Yes. She called um, the book absolutely magnificent. Truth, uh, of course. a Matryoshka doll. Yeah, oh, it's Matryoshka the, the, doll. It's the nesting Russian dolls. Right. Yes. Um, the Matryoshka doll of a novel, uh, an onion of a novel. Each layer exposes a more urgent truth. And this nice blurb from Rachel Kushner, uh, very classical and very original. Balzac would be proud, but so would Borges. And um, hmm. yeah, uh, talk a little bit about um, the influence of Borges, actually. And as as we just had mentioned, the kind of the 
nesting worlds um, effect of your latest. And then we'll talk about truth just kind of as a, uh, you know, where the premise came from and, and how you oh, kind absolutely. of undertook it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I was, I was telling you a moment ago that I, you know, I have this, this whole background in, in academia, you know, I, I, I and I, I still edit an academic journal, which is very sort of esoteric and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, in, 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 in full on academies. Mm. Um, and uh, so um, um, I wrote a whole book about, about Borges. He's, he's a massive, massive influence in, in my life, even beyond mm -hmm. literature. And I think one of the things that I, that I, of the many things that I learned from Borges uh, that is uh, germane to this conversation and pertinent to trust is um, sort of the, the way in which he plays with tradition. He has a very uh, playful approach and irreverent, productively irre irreverent approach to tradition and uh, mm. mashing up different strands and different uh, authors and different canons. Uh, I find that very uh, um, uh, uh, productive in my own work. I, I, I also do that a lot. Uh, another thing that I do is I, I, I love to play with genres, which Borges, of course, was a master of. You, you read these short stories that are, in fact, philosophical treatises, and, uh, or, you, or you read uh, a, a piece of what you think is philosophy, and then it turns out to be a, a, a piece of fiction, you know, <laughs> so, so subverting the expectations of the reader mm. uh, is something that he's very good at in terms of genre. And then lastly, uh, frames, of course. Um, and um, uh, I actually have a whole chapter in my book on Borges about how he uh, uses the framing structure, which is you know, a very, a very, a very old device in the history of literature. But the remarkable thing is that literature changes; it mutates over time. But this, this is, and and a lot of devices, you know, fall out of fashion. But we we keep telling framed narratives. You know, mm -hmm. these nesting narratives. And I think I think we do that because um, if if you if you create a fictional dam around your fiction. Right. If you surround it by every every side by more fiction, it it enhances the effect of reality of of the isolated or framed narrative. So it's like a, it's almost as if you had an isthmus, you know, connected to referential reality, you know, a peninsula, and then you sever that isthmus and you turn it into an island surrounded only by fiction. And I, I don't know, I I I love that, and I. I find myself. Do, I did it in, in in the distance. Is a frame narrative, and this mm -hmm. is a this takes it a step further because it's you know it's many different documents and texts interacting in 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 all kinds of weird ways. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow. Mercy is the bow. A DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. 
It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Because it is uh, four kind of interlocking pieces in a sense, Mm -hmm. talk about the spark of, you know, when kind of when you realize that trust was going to interweave these four narratives. Of course, they're all told from not not only different points of view, but in different uh, genres, right? That's right. Different points of view, different genres, different, different time periods. Uh, they're they're radically different, and stylistically, they're they they couldn't be more disparate. You know, the thing is, th- there are many answers to this question as to <laughs> why, yeah, as to why th- this is the 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 structure that I chose. There there isn't one single answer. I, I can give you a few of them. One is that, uh, and this is sort of a truism or or sort of a a, a little bit obvious, but. Uh, if you're concerned with with truth and the representation of truth, uh, you have to acknowledge that truth is by nature prismatic. There's there's not it it can't be accessed from one single point of view unless we're talking about mathematical truths, right? But hmm. otherwise, you know, among 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 human beings and their interactions, uh, it's necessarily a composite, right? So. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one of the reasons why this had to be uh, told in this way. An mm. additional reason is that one of the central concerns of the book is capital, money, wealth. And um, in the American myth of wealth, it's always uh, one man, and I use the word man very, very deliberately. It's one man pulling himself up his bootstraps and through his ingenuity, sort of amassing this this fortune with the will of a sort of a financial pioneer, you know, doing mm-hmm. it, the self-made man. And the truth is, however, that wealth is polyphonic, like a, a multitude goes, mm-hmm. goes into uh, a fortune, mainly the multitude of you know the, the, the labor that that goes into a, mm-hmm. a fortune. and and if you create a myth uh, of the single strong-willed man who made this happen, that means you're silencing all the voices, you know, uh, uh, on which this man ha- actually stands. Mm-hmm. And among those voices uh, are the voices of of women who are 
and this is something I discovered in my in my archival work toward this novel, there are no women in the in the history of wealth in America, neither in fiction nor in history. And I wanted to subvert this. And so my my main characters and my main narrators are are women here uh, and how their voices have been have been suppressed. And uh, so that that's a central concern and an additional reason, or perhaps the most important reason why this book is so polyphonic, why it, why it has so many voices. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a part of it, to me at least, is that, you know, I wonder if your background in, in philosophy and your studies in philosophy can't help but kind of bleed into um, the work. Does that define at times oh, that you're sure. accessing... Yeah, I think I, I mean I think a, a couple of things come from from having dealt with that kind of body of texts, you know, more theoretical uh, uh, books and 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 such. The first one is not being afraid of a certain type of velocity in prose, which is mm. you know, I like sometimes in my books for things to really slow down you know, in terms of the reading experience. Um, and this is something I've learned from, from reading a lot of philosophy and theory. Like it's, it's, it takes more time, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. to read, to read uh, a, a philosophical text than it does to read um, uh, some fiction. Uh, other fiction mm. is equally dense, but so, you know, uh, um, it, it doesn't mean that my prose is dense. I don't think, I don't, I honestly don't think it is, but, but it does mean that I'm I'm interested in that kind of register too, you know, not exclusively, but at certain points in my work and in, in in my novels, I I like for things to slow down, and that's something I've read I've learned from from reading uh, that kind of texts. I would also add sort of a certain you know patience in terms of uh, the archival work and just sticking with it and going to the library every day and, you know, looking through catalogs and, uh, and, uh, and, and yeah, and just reading materials that seem irrelevant at first, but then there is that nugget there that makes it all worth it. And, hmm. and that, you know, that's a lot of hours there. And, and I think that, that, that comes from my academic training too, but mm -hmm. I don't want, I don't want my books to sound academic in any way at all. Um, and I, I don't think, I can say with confidence they do not, and uh, that was a, that was also a hard process for me to unlearn academic writing and you know mm. just completely uh, do away with it in my fiction, which which I have. Like I, I don't want it to 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 contaminate it in any in any shape or form. Of course, I want to talk about the the research process, and you're talking about archival, looking at archival stuff. So to capture like the 20s and 30s is that kind of is that kind of the piece you're talking about? So are you are you going back and looking at historical documents and looking at again, as you said, different you know what magazines and, and newspapers and whatnot? Yes, uh, all 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 of the above and beyond. I would say um, mm -hmm. the book starts sort of in the 1880s ish and ends in the 1980s. So it spans effectively yeah. a whole century. And weirdly enough, like the 80s are 
far away enough to require uh-huh. a little bit of digging <laughs> too. <laughs> it feels strange, um, for this uh, middle-aged uh, person to say this, but it's true. And uh, um, so, uh, yeah, I, you know, also because I come from the humanities, I don't, I don't know a lot about money and 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 that whole yeah. thing. You know, the, the the rhetoric of money. So. That was a steep learning curve, and I I had to mm. study a lot and and learn how to talk about money. Th- that right. is one side. Another another interesting side is that I looked at uh, the personal papers of the of, of of some of the wives of real American tycoons. You know, mm. I went to these archives, requested their personal papers, and looked at them, which was very inspiring, and in in some cases rather heartbreaking to see mm. you know the, the 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 tedious marginal roles into which uh they had been pushed you know and also sort of the the lack of interest that their remaining papers uh have you know nobody nobody has requested them or looked at them since they were archived in some cases like for a hundred years nobody has bothered to to look at what these lives were all about mm. so that that was that was a very interesting side of of the research process as well yeah it sounds like it so when you are really uh getting into a flow state and once once you have kind of passed through the majority of the research piece um talk about your ideal writing day talk about a day you know how, how does that day start does it start with coffee does it are you a morning writer are you a nighttime writer how how, how are you getting into a, a flow state i used to be uh, uh, like a vampire um <laughs> even even more than a, than a night writer I, I lived sort of in a reverse kind of inverted world where I would write all night and kind of sleep most of the day. But then, you know, I also became a parent. So that, 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 that didn't, that didn't work at all with having a kid, but, um, I have become, uh, a morning writer. And, uh, when, when I'm deep into writing, I like to get up very, very early, uh, like between four and five. And, uh, and because you know nobody's sending me emails at that mm-hmm. time and nobody's calling uh the the new york times page is not being updated you know <laughs> there's <laughs> nothing so you know even if you want to procrastinate you know uh, you, you really can't uh, uh or not to uh, such a large extent uh and um uh i write by hand uh and uh you know yeah. in notebooks and then i and then i usually start my day my writing day by transcribing, typing the passages that I have written the previous day in longhand. And that gets me into the Hmm. headspace. And then after transcribing that, you know, I'm in the world and then I go back to my notepad, my notebook and my, and my pen and, uh, and keep writing uh, longhand. So that, that's more or less the, the, yeah, that's more or less the, 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 the process. That's cool. Yeah, so you're using it, it would seem different parts of your brain um, when you are writing by hand because there is something to be said about that piece, and then of course transcribing it. It as you said, it's getting you into the world, and then you're continuing that by going back to handwriting, which I find fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, it's you know, I I I don't work with 
uh, drafts. Like I hear my writer friends saying, "Oh, I'm on my third draft," and uh-huh. and and which is totally cool. I mean, I I don't think the recipes at all. It's it doesn't matter. Whatever works for you is the way to go. Yeah. It's just I've never wrote that way. I I I edit a lot as I as I go. Like mm. most of my writing day consists of uh, editing uh, what I have, and then I add a couple of hundred words a day to that. Uh, mm-hmm. Which means that by the time I get to the end, I, I have I have pretty much a finished manuscript. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, <laughs> I can't remember who said it, but um, they were talking about this writer who says, um, "I go very slowly, but I get it right the first time." <laughs> Ooh, yeah. <laughs> so well, that's lucky like him. <laughs> if it was a man, but no, yeah, no, it was a woman. I, it was a woman. Oh, okay, in, in her okay, defense. lucky her. <laughs> well, uh, I go, I go slowly, but I get it wrong the first time. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, oh, that's that's humility speaking there. That's very <laughs> nice. Um, well, uh, congrats on this uh, incredibly well received. Uh, oh, thank you, sir. Latest, and I mean, you must be pretty pleased with with how things have um, gone here. I mean, I mean, the the page of blurbs and reviews and. And I mean, it goes on for like we could spend two shows reading these oh. um, comments. But congrats, really, congrats! Um, Thank you. It's really Thank cool you. to Thank see. Thank you so much. It must feel good, like a little little uh, sigh of relief there, um, sending <laughs> your your second book out of the world. Yes, indeed. But uh, yeah, I will just mention trust. Of course, we'll link to the book um, at once. An immersive story and a brilliant literary puzzle. Trust engages the reader in a quest for the truth while confronting the deceptions that often live at the heart of personal relationships, the reality warping force of capital, and the ease with which power can ma- manipulate facts. Well, you know, I mean, I thought your your, your short interview with Scott Simon on NPR was very um, enlightening. I'll link to that as well. But he had just described the book as uh, spun from four narratives, a novel uh, wrought from the tale of the life of Andrew Bevel, a financial baron during the 1929 uh, stock market crash, and then his attempt to write his own story, then his secretary's memoir, and finally the journal left by his deceased wife, Mildred. So he, he kind of sums up how the book is structured um, and brilliantly uh, wrought, of course. But um, yeah, I had a couple, a couple more questions for you before we wrap with uh, kind of your just uh, final advice to fellow scribes. Are you a coffee or tea drinker? Uh, um, coffee <laughs> in you? the morning. <laughs> yeah. No, coffee in the morning. I uh, And if if I'm too tired, maybe tea uh, in one tea. I allow myself in the afternoon uh, because I'm, okay. you know, I'm an insomniac. So I can't do coffee in the afternoon. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, that is wise. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite cocktail? uh martini obviously <laughs> okay. gin i mean that that shouldn't be a, a, a clarification that should ever be made <laughs> um you had mentioned this uh handwriting in notebooks and and your uh kind of the way that you're structuring these um books but talk about um this pen that you've had <laughs> I, I i saw you talking oh about this with on uh late night television with uh seth myers talking about your pen and how you've had the same fountain pen for 20 years. Yes. Is this really a yes. thing? That's amazing. I'm, I'm, hol- I'm holding it as I speak with you. Uh, <laughs> and this pen has actually stolen the whole show. 
<laughs> Everybody wants to know about Everyone the pen. Everyone wants to know now. Yeah. Yeah. The pen, it's actually, I realized after leaving the show, is is older than 20 years. I'm glad I said just 20 years because it doesn't okay. make me look that old. So, um, <laughs> but it's it has a few more years on it. And right. it was given to me by a dear friend and mentor uh, all those years ago, uh, over two decades. Amazing. And I've ev- every everything that I've written, I've written with this pen. Um, it's a fountain pen. Uh, I change the ink color every now and then. Um, yeah. But I, I've settled on on one that's called Midnight Blue, which is a, <laughs> a tacky name, but it's a great color. Uh, and uh, and yeah, it's uh, you know it travels with me everywhere, and uh, uh, I I'm I, I I it's an object that it's so just has so much aura for me now because you know we've been through so much together <laughs> but Amazing. i'm terrified of losing it but it's it it does come with me wherever i go yeah do you think it confers upon the the uh well we want to talk about that we don't want to <laughs> we don't want to jinx it um <laughs> <laughs> i'm not superstitious but okay okay, okay. Good, good yeah um let's see a fun one for you if you could have dinner with any author from any era uh to your favorite sp- uh, in the world, who would you take and where would you take them? Oh, that's easy. Uh, I would have dinner with George Eliot. Uh, she is probably one of my favorite, not, not probably, she is one of my favorite novelists. Hmm. And she knew everything about literature, everything about philosophy. She translated Spinoza, you know, into English from Latin, hmm. hung out with Ralph Waldo Emerson and Wagner. I don't know. She was fascinating yeah um and i would probably take her to my favorite restaurant which is here in brooklyn and it's called the four horsemen and we would have Mm. you know uh several courses and uh hopefully get a little buzzed after a a bottle or two of wine (laughs) yeah getting buzzed with george elliott yeah that's all can you imagine man that sounds fun that sounds like a lot of fun all right um yeah so uh let's just wrap with your final uh, pearl of wisdom, just to fellow scribes on how to how to persevere, how to keep going, because uh, you uh, kind of you kind of started us off with some some great um, wisdom on the craft. Um, how to keep going? Um, it's a it's a tough question. I, I I think how to keep going is is a question that never goes away. Uh, like I just finished this book, and I'm asking myself how to keep going. Hmm. Uh, the the uh, and I think part of it is to keep that question alive. I think that once you've settled on an answer, something a lot of a lot of avenues just collapse and die immediately. Avenues that you want to keep open, right? Hmm. So par- part of part of uh, keeping uh, a, a, a rich writerly life is to ask yourself constantly how to keep going. And to leave and to live and to with that uh, anxiety that that creates, and to try to look for new solutions each time. Like I think once once you come up with a formula, you you should you should be a little cautious <laughs> and, <laughs> and question it. That that would be my my piece of advice. Wow, fantastic, Ernan! Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to do this today. Oh, Kelton, um, we, thank you. We really appreciate your time, your wisdom. Please come back and um, really best of 
luck with uh, the rest of your um, book tour and um, congrats. Uh, it is well-deserved. So grateful. Thank you for having me. Would love to be back whenever you want to have me again. And uh, best of luck to you too. Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to writerfiles.fm for more. That's writerfiles.fm. 